sing, Jesus never fails. series on this, and uh, I hope that this will be practical and useful, instructive for you, not to, to gain knowledge for knowledge's sake, but to gain wisdom and something you can apply and use every day. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that we're going to look into this morning, and we pray that you speak to us, glorify the Lord Jesus through uh, our learning and our obedience and our submission to Thee, our faith in Thee. We pray that You would help us, please, to pray for one another uh, as You desire for us to, uh, for the glory and pleasure of God. We know that we are most satisfied when we are doing Thy will. Help us, Father, to delight in Thee, delight in doing Thy will, to say what the Lord Jesus said, I delight to do Thy will, O God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for the Savior who died for us and rose from the dead the third day. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Philemon. Philemon. <laughs> little background on Philemon. Look at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow 
laborer. Paul identified himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why did he call himself a prisoner? This was one of the terms that he loved to call himself, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see that in several other places in the New Testament. He could have said Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that would have been correct. But he said Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He didn't say Paul an apostle, perhaps because this wasn't a letter like all the other letters he wrote, which he was writing to an entire church or to a pastor in a ministerial way, uh, correcting or instructing. But this was written as a personal letter to Philemon. And so he calls himself by this very humble title, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But why did he call himself a prisoner? Well, you could say he belonged to Jesus Christ and he, he felt that he could not escape that bondage, but it was good bondage. He was in joyful bondage, joyful service, but he was literally a prisoner. For two years, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He was waiting for an audience with the Caesar Nero. And Acts 28 talks about that. Acts chapter 28 tells us that he was confined to his house for two years. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Some of us have experienced this thing called quarantine, which goes back to an old Venetian word in which sailors who came into Venice had to put themselves in a, in a, away from the, the regular populace for 40 days, hence quarantine. It was to make sure they didn't have any diseases that were bringing into Venice. How would you like to be quarantined for 40 days? Doesn't sound like fun. Paul was, was locked in his house for two years, his own hired house, the Bible tells us, but he had a liberty. That liberty was to receive whoever came to his home, and he took visitors in, and Acts chapter 28 tells us that he invited the chief of the Jews in Rome to come visit him, and he preached the gospel to them, and then look at the end of verse of uh, Acts 28. He apparently received many other people too because Acts 28 verses 30 and 31 tell us this. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. It's interesting to me as I read church history, whether it's uh, ancient church history or fairly modern church history, that oftentimes uh, when the authorities, when the powers that be are against God, when they are wicked, when they're evil, and they're in absolute power, and they lock up God's people, it often turns out that when they lock up God's people, that the gospel spreads in the prison. And then when those people are released, the gospel spreads even further. And so they end up doing the Lord's work. <laughs> the Bible tells us that Paul received people and that he, he preached the kingdom of God. He preached the gospel to them. And uh, we're going to meet a man in just a little bit here in Philemon who probably met Paul sometime during those two years. Now, uh, Philemon chapter, uh, Philemon verse 2 excuse me, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, Philemon, who was Philemon? He was not an apostle. He was not a pastor. As far as we know, he was not in any kind of teaching position. As far as we know, he was not in any kind of position of authority in a local church. But Paul called him our dearly beloved and, and fellow laborer. Why? Philemon was a fellow believer in Christ. And if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then those who love Christ love you too. Also, Paul called him a fellow laborer. Why? Was, was he in the same city as Paul? Paul was in Rome in his, in his hired house, under house arrest. Was Philemon anywhere near him? No. So why was he called a fellow laborer? The, the modern term would probably be co-worker. Why? Because they're both serving the same Lord and Savior. That's why. 
They're both serving the same Lord and Savior. Verse 2, and to our beloved Aphia. Who's Aphia? That's a lady's name. Uh, most Bible students think that was uh, Philemon's wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. Paul wasn't a soldier. He was a prisoner. But he recognized that he was a soldier of Jesus Christ. He had encouraged Timothy. He had admonished Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says this man named Archippus was their fellow soldier. Some Bible students think this was the son of Philemon and Aphia. And someone even says this might, he might have been a pastor of the church there in Colossae where Philemon lived. Doesn't really matter exactly who these not so well-known people are. The fact is that Paul recognized them. And Paul recognized them as fellow servants of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 2 he wrote, To the church in thy house. To the church in thy house. Why was there a church in in his house? Churches met in homes for the first two or three centuries of the Christian church. Mostly met at homes. There has been an archaeological discovery of a large underground meeting room in Jerusalem or just outside the limits of Jerusalem, of the first century Jerusalem. And it is believed that that may be where the church met. They had a lot of people after Acts chapter 2. And it's very possible that that is where they met. Well, some people say, you see, every time a church meeting place in the Bible is mentioned, it's in a home. Therefore, we have to meet in a home. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that you have to do that. That's just what worked. It was not legal to have a public meeting place. And so they met in homes. But that says something, I think, about this man here, about this man Philemon, who hosted the church in his house. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a pastor. As far as we know, he was not sent by any church to plant a church. He simply hosted the church. That says something about his generosity. That says something about his, his uh, understanding of what is important. This man apparently had some money. He was a man of means. He apparently was well-to-do. You'll find out just a little bit later in, in this book that he had a slave named Onesimus. And that's the reason Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to Philemon to say to him, in verse 10, he says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. What's that mean? While I was here under house arrest, I led Onesimus to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I have begotten. I have fathered him. He led him to Christ. He began to disciple him. And, verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. And what Paul goes on to say is, please receive him. He was a slave who ran away from you. And under Roman law, a slave who runs away from his master, if he's caught, was allowed to be executed. And it's possible, you look through this passage, it's possible that he stole from Philemon, his master. Double trouble. But Roman law provided that if a runaway slave could find a third party to intermediate, then they may do that. That was an option. And Paul became that third party, that intermediary. And Paul said, I know that he did you wrong, but you are my brother, and now Onesimus is our brother, and I'm asking you, for my sake and for Christ's sake, receive him back, not as a servant, but as a brother, for testimony's sake. This will be a great testimony of God's forgiveness and God's grace in Christ in their church that met in his home and amongst all of those who knew about this family. Philemon was a well-to-do man. He was a 
faithful servant of the Lord Jesus. He was generous to open his home. He apparently uh, was, was zealous in his witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who this man Philemon was. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a common greeting of Paul. He always hoped and wished that all of God's people would know God's grace and peace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse four, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Remember what we've, we've learned about maturing Christians? Maturing Christians focus their prayers away from themselves toward God and concerning others. Toward God and concerning others. May I say it again? The more you grow as a Christian, the more you grow in the faith, the more you turn your, your prayer concerns, your prayer requests away from yourself and out toward the glory of God and the, the blessing of God's people, the blessing of others. This was Paul's desire for him. He said, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Now I want you to see this word, my. Look at verse 4 again. I thank my God. The Apostle Paul was confident that the creator of heaven and earth, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, was his God. It was not a matter of pride. It was simply a matter of fact, and he knew it. He was confident in it, and he was thankful for it. My God. My God. A Christian can say the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song. Philemon chapter, well, I keep saying chapter. Philemon, the only chapter, verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Oh, so if, if you can call the God, the true God, your God, then you ought to have something you can call your prayers, my prayers. If you personally know God, then you personally talk to him. I think it was Mr. Spurgeon that said that, that uh, prayer is to a Christian what breathing is to a body. If there's no prayer life, is there any spiritual life? The Bible says that when, when God sent Ananias, not Ananias and Sapphira, but the other Ananias, to Saul of Tarsus, who had been converted on the road to Damascus, he said, in describing Saul to him, he said, behold, he, what? He readeth his Bible. No. Behold, he witnesseth. No. Those are good. Behold, he attendeth the church. No. Behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. That's an evidence of being a Christian. You want to talk with your father. I thank my God, Philemon, verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith. Ah, hearing of thy love and faith. This is a theme that you find in some of the epistles that Paul wrote. That he says, I heard about your testimony. I heard about your love. I heard about your faith. Someone is paying attention to these people and passing the word on to Paul. Brother Paul, did you hear about Brother Philemon? That man is overflowing with love and faith. What a testimony. By the way, when people think about you, what is your testimony? What is your reputation? What is your reputation? You've heard our pastor talk about, I can't remember the man's name, but back when he was a young Christian at Kotla Baptist Church, he said that man was always there. He had a crooked arm, and he always had his Bible in his crooked arm, always early for church, and he was always there to greet, new, uh, greet people coming with a handshake and a smile. He said it doesn't matter what was happening, what the weather was like, that man was always there. That was his reputation. That was his testimony. What do people think of when they think of you? 
When the Apostle Paul thought of Philemon, he thought of a man who had love and faith. He said in verse 5, Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, and toward all saints. Now this is very interesting to me, this verse. Uh, it, it's not unusual to say love and faith toward the Lord Jesus, but love and faith toward all saints. Now love toward all saints, so we can understand that. But faith toward all saints, I'm not quite exactly sure what that means, except maybe it simply means that he looked at other saints with goodwill. He gave them the benefit of the doubt. But for sure, if a man has love and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that is going to overflow from his life, overspill, spill out of his life to include all those who are beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel very uncomfortable when I'm with a, another Christian who spends a good part of his time ripping apart and criticizing and slandering other Christians. I was talking with a, with a preacher uh, not too long ago, and I realized, you know, our conversation is veering in the direction of criticizing this preacher and criticizing that preacher and criticizing this brother. This is not good. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we don't look at reality as it is. I'm not saying we don't recognize people for who they are. But if you are full of love for the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him, let me turn that around. If I am full of love toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and if I am truly trusting him, how can I possibly go through life just looking for the negative in everybody else. How is that possible? How is that possible? He said that, Philemon, I've heard that you have love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. You know, you and I might disagree on some things. We might like different food. I know that there are people in this small group right now who have very different tastes in, in food. We might have different pastimes. Uh, we might come from a different generation, even. We might even speak different languages. But if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and if I love the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have a common love. Right. We love Him. And because we love Him, we love each other. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Not because we can say, yes, I agree to this doctrinal statement. That's important. And you can't get along in unity if you don't agree on the same things. But as far as love goes, if you love him, you love each other. If you love him, you love each other. Now, don't think that what I just said means that you have to choose between love and truth. They're not contradictory. They go together. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Hmm. Philemon, verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Verse 6, that, stop right there, that, 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 that word that, T-H-A-T, is, it, it, it connects verses 4 and 5 up here with verse 6 over here. It brings them together. What it says is, verse 4, verse 4, Paul said, he makes mention of Philemon always in his prayers. Verse 5, Paul tells what he's heard of Philemon's virtues his love and his faith. And then in verse 6, now he's going to go back and tell what he prays for. In verse 4, he said, I make mention of the always in my prayers. Verse 6, he's going to tell what he prays for Philemon. Again, again, when the New Testament teaches us, pray one for another, it doesn't mean, Lord, I pray for Brother Hugh. 
Amen. What does that mean? Or, Lord, please bless Brother Francis. What does that mean? Let's get specific. And that's what we're doing these weeks. We're looking to see what the New Testament teaches us about how to be specific in our prayers. Verse 7, or verse 6, excuse me. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Let's to understand what this prayer means. Let's take it apart phrase by phrase so we can understand what Paul is saying here about how he prayed for Brother Philemon. That the communication of thy faith. The word communication means <clears throat> are you ready for this? Sharing. 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 I, I'm not a huge fan of the word sharing because it's been so abused to replace the word preach. People say share. I received an email several years ago being invited to a church and our contact there was a, a very beloved sister whom we have known for years and she said that the pastor, uh, she was kind of our, our contact with the pastor and she said the pastor wants you to uh, report about your ministry and uh, then you can share and uh, and I read the email, and I honestly thought, share. Share what? <laughs> and then I realized what she meant. She meant preach. Preach. Okay, I can preach. All right, I can preach. I understand. Yeah. But that's what the word means. Communication means sharing. That the communication or the sharing of thy faith may become effectual. What does effectual mean? Are you ready for some, some big words here? Effectual? Webster, 1828. No Webster's. American Heritage Dictionary. Effectual. It is an adjective. I see some young men who are just jumping up and down for joy when they hear the word adjective. Adjective. Producing an effect or the effect desired or intended. Or having adequate power or force to produce the effect. Hmm. In other words, it's effective. It means effective. It's, it gets done what needs to get done. It gets done what you want to get done. It's effectual. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual. Paul is saying, Philemon, I am praying that your faith would produce, that the sharing of your faith would produce the desired effect. Oh. And did you know that not all communicating of faith is effective? Effectual? <laughs> Not all of it is. Uh, several years ago, I was in a, a, a busy, we lived in a very, very big and very, very busy city, and a, a sister there told me that she met a lady standing outside a subway station, handing out tracts, and saying to people, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. And I thought, if I, was an, if I were an unsaved man, that would mean nothing to me. Because the way I think is, why? Why should I do anything? If someone's standing on the street corner handing out magnets saying, get AC, get AC, get AC, get AC. Why? Why do I need AC? I have AC. I mean, I have, I have natural AC in my house. I open the windows. We get ocean breeze. I don't need AC. Why would I need AC? Or get whatever. Get cheese puffs. I don't know why that came to mind. I don't even like cheese puffs. Get whatever. Why? Do what? Why? Now, I appreciate the lady's zeal. I do. I appreciate her boldness. I appreciate her concern. But is that going to convince anyone? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me back up a little bit. It is often assumed that you have to choose between emotion or reason. You have to choose between emotion or reason. It's also assumed that when it comes to faith, particularly Christian faith, that falls over on the side of emotion, not reason. In fact, when I attended UH, uh, the, the, uh, the community college campus, the philosophy professor essentially said so. 
the religion falls under the category of emotion. Now he was teaching logic. What is absolutely discernible. You can find out what is true through logic. But faith, that's, that's emotion. Really? Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ did after he rose from the dead? According to Acts, Luke wrote Acts. What Luke said in Acts chapter 1? That he, let's look at it. This is fascinating to me. Acts chapter 1. The Lord Jesus Christ never said what they have him saying in that very popular TV show, The Chosen. Have any of you seen The Chosen or any part of it? No? He meets with Nicodemus. Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you know, asks him, What should I do? What should I believe? And Jesus, or the actor there, there, therefore, says, What does your heart tell you? Huh? Let me throw in a little pigeon. Huh? What does your heart tell you? What the Lord Jesus said in John 3 when he met with Nicodemus, he never said anything about what do you feel like, what does your heart tell you. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What he said was saying, it is written. In the Old Testament scriptures, it is written. In other words, Nicodemus, what does the scripture say? What saith the scriptures? What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 1 through 3. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he threw the Holy Ghost and given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Let me pause and explain just a little bit here. Luke. Luke was telling his, this individual, Theophilus, I'm writing to you, or I have written to you in the former treatise, that is the, the other book, the, what we call the Gospel of Luke, how I described all that Jesus did until the day that he ascended into heaven. Now verse 3, to whom, the apostles, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his suffering, he showed himself alive. He said, Behold my hands and my feet. Behold my hands and my side. It is I. He, he showed himself to them. He didn't tell them the third day I will rise again and then expect them to believe it without seeing it. He showed himself to them. Now watch this. To verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. He didn't expect them to believe it because he told them to believe it. He expected, saying, I will rise again and expect that you know, after he's seen you know, gruesome death. That he rose from the dead victorious over sin, death, and hell. No. He physically appeared to them, Amen. proving to them he was resurrected. Amen. The Lord's method was evidential. Evidential. He gave them evidence. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them. 40 days. Being seen of them 40 days. You know, you can probably uh, figure out if someone was real or not after 40 days. The Lord Jesus Christ expects us to believe him because of evidential reasons, not emotion. And emotions follow. The emotions follow. But we should be very suspicious of a testimony that says, even if it's your old testimony, that says, you know, I was just so overwhelmed by, by what I, how I felt in that service, the music or the preaching. No, no, no one's ever going to say. No one's ever going to say, oh, pastor, no one's ever going to say to me, your preaching has moved me so much, I just had to believe in Jesus. 
That's never going to happen. For one, I'm not that dynamic of a preacher. Number two, I hope it never happens. Because if you believe what I say because I say it in a special way, then someone else can talk you out of it. We want you to believe what the Word of God says because there is reason to believe it. And there is, a, there is an effective way to share the faith. And there are many ineffective ways to share the faith. And Paul was saying to Philemon here in Philemon verse 6, he was praying that the communication of Philemon's faith may become effectual. Philemon, I am praying that as you communicate the faith, as you share the gospel, that it would meet its desired end, that it would produce the desired effect, that people would believe what you say. That's how I'm praying for you, Philemon. Was Paul reprimanding? Was he rebuking Philemon for not being effective in his Christian witness? Some, some Bible students would look at that and say, See, Paul was scolding Philemon because he wasn't effectual. He wasn't effective in his witness. And so Paul was telling him, I'm praying that you... No, he wasn't. This was Paul's desire for every Christian, that our witness for Jesus Christ would be effective. In fact, Paul prayed that way. In Ephesians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he said, in so many words, pray for me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Amen. What he was saying? Pray that my witness will be effectual. He wasn't rebuking funny. Now we come to this very unusual phrase in Philemon verse 6. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual. Here it is. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? You ever come to a place in, in the Bible and you say, what does that mean? Am I the only one? Anyone else ever do that? Yeah. Come to a verse and say, Lord, I have no idea what that means. Anyone else? Thank you. A few people. Thank you. Thank you. I, this is one of those. I, I looked at some Bible commentary. I looked at some Bible, some study Bibles. And I found out that good men of God have different opinions. Because this isn't a matter of you and I being saved, you and I knowing God. It's just, it's a matter of opinion. So let's see what they said. And let's weigh out the differences and see which one makes sense and cling to it. So here is what I found in a study Bible. This is from the Rock of Ages study Bible. Quote, Paul is praying that those helped by Philemon might acknowledge Philemon's good deeds as done from Christ Jesus. That's pretty good. I kind of like that. And that simply means Paul wanted others who were helped through Philemon's ministry to acknowledge, to recognize that whatever good was done, was done, was accomplished because Philemon was in Christ Jesus and all good things come from Christ Jesus. That's essentially what I think they're saying here. And this interpretation fits with what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It fits. So that's one interpretation. That's interpretation one. Let's look at interpretation number two. Paul wanted Philemon to, quote, have a deeper understanding of all that he had in Jesus Christ. After all, the better we know Christ and experience his blessings, the more we want to share these blessings with others, end quote. Warren Wearsby, Bible Expository Commentary. So, two very different perspectives of what verse 6 means. They agree with the first part of the verse, but the second part, they have very different perspectives on it. Does that mean that they're enemies? No. Does that mean that we have to choose one or the other? Not necessarily. It simply means we need to think about what these two possibilities might be and see what we can apply. 
Now that interpretation, by the way, the interpretation of Mr. Wiersbe fits with other prayers that Paul prayed for other saints. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1. Also, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. You know what? If I were sitting where you are, and you were standing where I am, I would have already forgotten what Mr. Wiersbe said. So let me read that again. And then let me come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul wanted Philemon himself to, quote, have a deeper understanding of all that he had in Jesus Christ. That's from the acknowledging of every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. After all, quoting again, after all, the better we know Christ and experience his blessings, the more we want to share these blessings with others. And so that's the communication by faith, the sharing of the faith. Right. Now that's Mr. Mr. Wiersbe said, and that seems to fit with 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And the Apostle Paul had said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 how they had received the word of the gospel and from them it sounded out. They sounded out the word. They gave it out. They echoed it back out. They, re, they sent it back out. They were like a transfer station. So what I think Mr. Wiersbe is saying is that God's word, the faith, effectually worked in them that believed, including Philemon, and because it did, their communication of the faith could become effectual too. So, does that make sense? It makes sense to me. In fact, I think both interpretations have some merit. So which one is it? Which one is it? Is the Rock of Ages Study Bible correct? Or is Mr. Wearsby's commentary correct? By the way, the Rock of Ages Study Bible the notes are not inspired scripture. They just happen to be notes that were put in by the Rock of Ages ministry into the Bible text. So which one is right? Rock of Ages or Mr. Wiersbe? Then they both have merit. And we should think about what they both say. You and I both, you and I need to acknowledge that if there's any good thing in us, it's because of Jesus Christ. Right. And whatever we can do that is good. We need to use that as an opportunity to communicate the faith. Whether it's helping a neighbor pick up rocks or taking a neighbor's trash can out to the street or uh, going back to... <laughs> Yesterday, Joseph and I went to look at some... He needed violin strings. I needed to get a set of guitar strings. And I happened to meet just a week or so ago a young man who has a really good name, Nathan. And so I met this guy there at the guitar shop, and we just hit it off. I mean, we got the same name, so why not get along? And we had a good time talking for a couple of minutes, and so I went back yesterday to try to talk with the guy. He wasn't there. And I met this, you know, there's nothing like local humor, you know. Nothing like local humor. I said to the man who came over to help look for violin strings, I said, oh, is Nathan in today? He said, oh, no, he usually comes in another time. I said, oh, well, tell him, if you would, tell him Nathan said hi. He said, oh, okay. He had kind of long hair, he flopped his hair around. He said, oh, okay. I won't, when Nathan comes in, I won't tell him. Nathan, Nathan said hi. And he going to say, oh, but I'm Nathan. And I'm going to say, no, I mean, the other Nathan. Now, I have to go back there. I needed to go back there to get guitar strings anyway. But I could get guitar strings elsewhere. But there's a gospel contact there. And I want to try to meet that man again and talk with that man again. I gave him a tract the last time. And a tract is a good way. But, but it shouldn't be the end. That should be a beginning. You know, That should be a way to, to try to get a further conversation. But we need to be trying to do good things so that we can 
effectually communicate the faith. Um, but we need to understand that whatever good is in us, it's from Christ. That's the Rock of Ages study Bible perspective on this verse. And then Mr. Wiersbe's perspective, uh, I guess that ties in together. Excuse me, I'm still, that was Wiersbe's perspective. The Rock of Ages perspective is we want others to see. We want others to see that whatever good we do, it's because of Jesus Christ. And that is true. That is true. In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And he also said, I am what I am by the grace of God. None of us has the right, no matter how long we've been saved or how much we've advanced and grown and matured in the faith, to look in the mirror and say, you have arrived. You know, I love Google Maps because when it, when it gets you to where you're going, the lady in the phone says, you have arrived. And I always want to say, yes, I have arrived. <laughs> Don't I wish I had arrived. But even the Apostle Paul said, I have not yet apprehended. I, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wrote that as an older Christian man. I haven't attained yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. None of us have. And whatever good is in us, it's because God has been gracious to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. So, however we look at this verse, Philemon verse 6, there are at least two facts to glean from this verse that we can use to guide us in our prayers. Number one, number one. God expects us to communicate our faith. God expects us to communicate our faith. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual. God expects us to, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, share the faith. God expects us to share the faith with others. Not all believers in Jesus Christ are called to be evangelists. But all believers in Jesus Christ are called to evangelize. We're not all given the gift, the special gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean that we don't evangelize. We're not all given the gift of hospitality. That doesn't mean we shouldn't show hospitality. Did you know that a pastor is required to be a man given to hospitality? But does that mean only pastors may show hospitality? Absolutely not. If you have that gift, praise God and use it. The Word of God speaks of the gift of the gift. The gift of ministering, of, of serving. Does that mean only those who have that special gift can serve? Well, I can't. I can't rearrange chairs because I don't have the gift of serving. I can't do this because I don't have the gift of... No. We're not all given the gift of evangelism. We're not all given the calling of evangelism, but we're all given the command to evangelize. If you're saved, you have a requirement upon you to share the faith. They communicate the faith. So, how do we pray? We can pray, Father, please help. And you name somebody, whoever it is that you're thinking of. Or in general, my fellow saints, my fellow church members, the members of my church. Father, please help them to communicate the gospel, to share it. I have heard pastors berate their congregation because the congregation doesn't witness. And I can understand the, the, uh, the frustration. I have been in that position, leading a church in which people sometimes seem to not care about others. I've also had the great privilege of pastoring a church where people were zealous to witness for, for the Lord Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> But the thing to do is not to berate people. 
Pray for them. Pray for them. Lord, please help my fellow saints to communicate the gospel. And number two, according to Philemon, verse 6, God desires that the communication of our faith would be effectual. Effectual. Again, the word is a little different from effective. The word effectual means that it produces its desired end. It produces its desired end. And so we can pray, Father, please help brother, sister, so-and-so as they communicate the faith to be effectual, that their, their witness would be effectual, that the sharing of their faith would be effectual. We have only one lifetime in which to communicate this faith. Now, praise God, we have eternity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We have eternity to worship him. We have eternity to enjoy all the good things that he will give us in eternity. But we have only one life in which to communicate the faith. Right. To share the faith. To pass it on to someone else. And we don't know how long this life will last. And so let's do everything we can to use this life to the fullest to communicate the faith. Oh, so much more to be said about that, but let's pray for that, for one another. Let's pray for that. Will you pray for me? Pray that I'll be effectual in the sharing of my faith. Yesterday, Joseph and I had a young man uh, from Japan, 15 years old, and um, we let him teach us some things. We were in a, in uh, what's that store called? The Hobby, the Hobby Company over there in Pearl City. And uh, looking at plastic model airplanes and model cars. And there is one particular model car that I really would love to find. And I found one version of it. And it costs too much. And it's the wrong kind. It's not quite the right year. I keep looking for it. I don't even build models. But if I find that one, I'll build models. And so this guy came up. And he was just kind of hanging around. I thought, it's kind of weird. Is he a customer? Or is he, does he work here? He's kind of hanging around. And then, and then he said something, oh yeah, that's not, and I realized this guy has a strange accent. <laughs> He's not from here. Anyway, we got talking with him, and we let him teach us. We asked him questions about this or that and these model things, and, and I thought, you know what? We need to come back and talk with this kid. We need to come back and get to know this kid and try to communicate the faith with him. And every one of us has people like that that God can lead us to. So ask God to help each other. How do you pray one for another? Ask God to help each other to communicate the faith and to communicate it effectually. Effectually. That's so plain, isn't it? Is that plain? Is that clear? That's not difficult. That's, that's, that's not deep theology, is it? That's just practical. And I hope we can do that. Let's pray. Amen. Father, please help us to be effectual in our witness for Thee. We need Thy help. We cannot be effectual without Thy help. So do help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.